Welcome to The Holistic Entrepreneur with Holistic Nurse Practitioner, Success Coach, and Best-Selling Author, Bonnie Gressel. Bonnie and her expert guests share tips, tools, and strategies to achieve success on your holistic entrepreneur journey. Each show features answers to common entrepreneur challenges, along with a healthy dose of support and motivation. Now, please welcome the host of The Holistic Entrepreneur, Bonnie Gressel. Welcome, everyone. This is Bonnie Gressel, your host here at The Holistic Entrepreneur. Now, today, I'm very excited to have a special guest with us. We have a sought-after keynote speaker to share her time with us. Lori Guest is here today, and I'm going to introduce Lori in just a moment. But first, I always want to take a moment to thank all of you for spending your valuable time here with me on the show. I know that time is our most precious asset, and so I always want to make sure that these shows are value-packed so that you feel your time was well spent. And let me tell you, you will not be disappointed today. Now, I think being a holistic entrepreneur is really more about who you are than what you do. You come from that heart-centered place. You want to make a difference in the world. And perhaps that's you, and that's why you decided to join us on the show today. So if this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've tuned in before, welcome back. I hope that you find this will be another great show with insights to help you on your entrepreneur journey. And make sure you check out the show page before you leave. There's always gifts for you there. And Lori has a very special gift for you as well. And her website is there too, so that you can connect with her and maybe you want her to speak at your event. And we can connect you and I on Facebook or send me a message at bonniegressel.com. I'd love to hear from you because you know, Maybe you have a message to share. I always love having new guests on the show, so I would love to hear from you. If you would like to reach people all over the world with being on this show, please reach out to me and let's make it happen. Now, the information presented here is always educational, inspirational, and motivational in nature, but I always want you to just take what fits for you and simply let go of the rest. This show does not intend or imply to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment either. I always want to preface every show with that little reminder for all of us. Now, let me introduce our guest for today. As an entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and author, Lori Guest is the go-to resource for customer service excellence. For more than two decades, she shared her practical point of view on customer service and staff development with audiences and companies across the country, blending real-life examples and proven action steps for improvement. Her latest book is The Ten-Cent Decision, How Small Change Pays Off Big, presenting her most sought-after and impactful strategies to find and retain the best staff and the highest quality customers while delivering exceptional guest experiences. I know you're going to love today's show. Join me now in welcoming Lori Guest to the show. Well, welcome, Lori. Thank you so much for taking time to share with us here on The Holistic Entrepreneur. I know you're a busy person, so thank you so much for taking time for us today. Oh, happy to do it. You know, I read a little bit about people in their bio, obviously, but there's always more to the story, right? Would you share with us a little bit more about your journey and what brings you to the work that you do today and to your book and the speaking that you do to help, you know, to help everyone, really? So tell us a little bit more about your story. Sure. Well, my background was in healthcare, and I worked for a regionally well-known ophthalmology center. So we treated eye disease with uh, medication and surgery. 
and we were known for our customer service. Not only do we have great surgeons, but my owners were just spectacular at the, building a culture of service, really. And when they hired employees, they gave us the really the boundaries of how to treat our patients, and then they accepted no less. And so we became really known for this, and I was one of the earlier employees. So other industries started calling and asking if somebody from our clinic could come and share our insider secrets. And my doctor kind of looked around and said, Lori, you like to talk. Why don't you go? <laughs> and I had always loved speaking. I loved speech in high school. I felt it was one of those natural talents I was given that I just didn't know you could make a living doing it. I had no idea. I'd heard of, you know, Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins, but beyond that, I had no idea that a regular person like me uh, could do this. And then I found out that I could, that there were industries willing to pay to hear the information. So over a slow period of time, I began speaking more and working a little less and with my doctor's permission, uh, slowly phased out. And uh, gosh, about 22 years ago, I hung my own shingle and now have my own um, speaking and training company that's really exclusively focused on uh, customer service, staff development, and how do we deliver the best service. I focus on entrepreneurs. I also do some larger companies as well, but my favorite is that small to mid-sized business owner that doesn't have a training team, but knows they want great service uh, for the people they serve, which in our house, we call them all a guest, playing off of our last name. Yeah, you know, and I was going to ask you that, actually. That is really your last name, right? It really is. You didn't so change did. it for this. <laughs> I did. And I joked that, you know, it took me forever to find a man whose last name is what I wanted to be. And, and now looking back, I should have been looking for Tom Skinny and my life would be so much better. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know, I think it's very interesting, Laurie, that you started, I mean, really, you started in, in healthcare. So did I. I'm a nurse practitioner. And and I think it's it's important wherever you are to have good customer service. But holy cow, when you're in a physician's office, whether it's an eye doctor or a cardiologist or or whatever those people those guests right are mm -hmm. scared to begin with mm -hmm. and it's so critically important so i love that you started in healthcare and are bringing sort of that elsewhere because it's well, needed everywhere Yes, and the interesting thing about healthcare is, and I think most practitioners would agree with this, they don't receive that training when they're in school. You right. know, they learn how to diagnose and treat things and how to spin the dials, as I like to call it. And where are they going to get the knowledge of how to have generation after generation of staff that know how to treat our customers. It, you, you just can't go into it with just common sense. You have to actually build that culture and be very diligent about it, no matter what size your business is. Oh, absolutely. So what was your, you know, you, you started with speaking, it sounded like, I mean, you mm -hmm. slowly th throughout the, you know, from your practice with the uh, ophthalmology group to, to speaking as, as your business. What was the inspiration for the book? I mean, where did that sort of come about in that whole um, sequence? Well, they tell us as speakers, we should always write the book that's dying to come out of us, you know, that has to come out of us. And for me, my first book was on personal retreats, get away, get a plan. It's called Wrapped in Stillness, a personal retreat guide. And that's the book that just had to get out of me. If I was only going to have one in my entire life, that is what I would consider a touchy feely, get your, get your act together kind of book. But when it comes to a corporate audience where people are really looking to how to attract and keep new customers, you know, the, the touchy feely retreat guide is not going to get it done. And I started to reflect on why was I not writing a customer service book? I have a lot to say. Why is that not the book that's flying out of me? And I realized it one day, almost like a bolt of lightning. I realized because everything that needs to be said about customer service has already been said by somebody else. 
that was my that was my deterrent. That's the reason I wasn't doing it because so many people think that customer service is common sense. What new light can I shine on this? And so all of my colleagues and several of my clients were like, you should take all your good ideas. And they need to be in a book. People need to hear these ideas because they're really good and et cetera. So I signed up for a writing retreat. It was a digital uh, writing retreat. And the person who was hosting it, she gave us a writing prompt in the first section of the event and said, I want you to go away for a half hour and I want you to write nonstop using this prompt. And here it is, dear reader. That was the prompt, dear reader. So when I went away and started writing, I said right off the top of my head without any thinking, I typed, dear reader, what could I possibly have to say about customer service that you haven't already heard? Well, I've got lots to say, because if everybody understood all of this, we wouldn't need any customer service speakers, and yet there are thousands of us. So there's obviously something to learn. And then the second half was, but why should you listen to me? And then that's when it hit that I've been an entrepreneur since I was five years old. And so that became the basis of the stories. Every chapter starts out with a story of entrepreneurship starting from when I was five. So I think it goes five, eight, 12, 16, on up to my current age now. What did I build? And what did I learn about customer service from that experience? So that's really how the core of the book got started. Mm, oh, fascinating. You know, I love how, how whatever, whoever the presenter was at your retreat, how they did that. Because I always say, okay, you have to speak to your ideal reader. I mean, mm -hmm. that's who you're talking to, which is kind of how you put that together. And, you know, the, the other thing that you said that I thought was interesting is, well, everything's been said before. And, and, and that's true, I guess, because really there's no new information unless you're writing a, a novel, a fiction novel or something. Mm -hmm. But uh, we have a small publishing company and we do a lot of nonfiction stuff. Mm -hmm. our authors and there is no new information but you put your own spin on it it becomes the Lori guest way you know mm -hmm. and, and, and it, it resonates your, with some people yeah exactly and it becomes the words you choose or most importantly the stories that you tell yeah. my stories are the unique thing about me and your mm -hmm. stories are your unique thing about you. So if we can draw from those, now they have to be good stories, they have to be ones that you wanna read, um, but if we can draw from that, then it becomes a little more unique. The way the title actually came to be, the 10 cent decision piece, is because I have always been talking about low cost, no cost, things that people can do that impact your guest. And I see it almost like dimes. We'll be walking down the street and, and my husband and I happen to always bend over and pick up the coins we find and we actually collect them, we save them. So we've been doing that through our entire relationship and we have well over $500 now of coins that we found on the street over the last 20 years. But what you will see is a lot of people who just step over the dimes. So I started to ask people, do you, do you reach it down and pick up a coin? And I cannot believe the huge volume of people, Bonnie, that say, no, they step over it. Really? You step over a dime? What, why? Why would you step over it? And the answer is, not, you know, not worth my time. And I'm thinking, how long does it take you to reach down and pick up a dime? Because if you stack a bunch of dimes, right, they become a dollar and a bunch of dollars becomes 10 and upward. And I just found it so um, interesting that there are 10 cent decisions, meaning very small things you can do that cost you nothing, that over time can make a big impact if we stack one on top of the other. So that's kind of the basis of the title. Mm, oh, I love that. Yeah. And I am one of those people who picks up the coins. <laughs> Why would we I not? Yeah. I just don't understand that. So, you know, you said something else a little bit ago that um, kind of triggered something in me, and I'd like to talk about it a little bit more. You said something about a common sense, which I think a lot of this stuff, because I've read your book, which is awesome, by the way, Thank um, you. 
the, a lot of the stuff is common sense. It's kind of like, you know, picking up the dime that, that you mm -hmm. find on the ground. That's mm -hmm. to me, that's common sense. Mm -hmm. So can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because so much of this stuff, you know, has been said before and is common sense, yet people don't do it. Well, exactly. And I'm, I'm getting very intrigued with uh, a deeper dive into this concept. It, this particular thing we're going to talk about is not in the book right now, but it has come as a result of talking to people like you who are asking about common sense. And, and here's my response. Common sense is not common because I think it comes to us in five key ways and none of us have the same situation. So for example, common sense, first of all, comes from the environment in which you were raised. Who were your role models and what was their common sense? What was their way of treating others? That became the image that you likely followed. So you and I were not raised in the same home. So right there out of the gate, our common sense is not the same. So where you were raised. Secondly, what generation were you born in? So common sense is a little different for my 19 and 23 year olds than it is maybe for my parents. Mm -hmm. So the generation in which you were born, I think your personality introverted people and extroverted people have a different approach to any situation. And so you might think it's common sense for me to get up out of my chair and greet a customer and make eye contact, smile, shake their hand. That just comes naturally to me and probably to you as well, because we are extroverted people. But to an introverted person, it takes every ounce of their being to treat somebody that way because it doesn't come naturally to them. The fourth of the fifth piece would be, where did you used to work? prior to working for me, where did you used to work and what was the approved culture there? So if you could uh, interact uh, and transact with your guest, but you never had to show them great service and that was just fine, you weren't at risk of losing your job if you treated people that way, then that became the norm for you. And then finally, and probably the most important is, what environment are you working in today? So let's say that you and I uh, both work at a bank and you've been there for 20 years and I was hired today and they bring me and we're both tellers and they put me right next to you in the teller line. You now are my role model. So if you are treating our bank customers spectacular way, I'll just with common sense realize, okay, that's how they do it here. But if you are on a downhill spiral because you've been doing this for 20 years and you're burnt out and you're done and the example you give me isn't a good one, then I believe that is the approved culture. So if we did a deep dive into each one of these five areas, there's no way that we all come to the same, excuse me, all come to the table with the same sense. Mm, sounds like another book in the making, Laurie. It does. And I didn't realize it, honestly, until I started talking about, you know, people would ask me in interviews like this, well, isn't customer service just common sense? And it was becoming one of the most popular questions I was being asked. And I thought, well, yeah, it, it is common sense. Maybe that's why I didn't write the book sooner. But then how can we unravel that? How can we dispute mm -hmm. the fact? Because there is no such thing as common. Right. That's, that's a really good point. I mean, we, we, you know, I never really thought about before. I mean, you just call it common sense, but you're right. Everyone is so different and comes from different backgrounds and all the things that you just illustrated. And there's, there's no way that we can be the same. So it's not common. Exactly. How did it get that term? It's very interesting. So I think it's time yeah. to dig a little deeper into that concept. I always said I only had one book in me and now I think actually I might have a third and a fourth. So I get really excited about, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, am I not done writing yet? Because it doesn't come easy. It's not an easy task. That's for sure. 
Yeah, but that's so common because we know a lot of people who have, you know, think they have one book in them, right? Mm -hmm. And then they go on to write other books. And, you know, my husband and I have done that as well. So I think it's just once you know you can do it and you've got mm -hmm. more to say, I think as you and, and you've been on other you know, podcasts and things before and then you do a lot of speaking and talking to other business leaders, you just you find that you have so much more to share. And I think life is too short to let that go to waste. So I, I believe in sharing what you have. Oh, absolutely. And I think anybody listening who thinks, oh my gosh, I, I'm just a fill in the blank, yeah. right? I hate that phrase. Get rid of the just a and say, what is it that you can share in your industry, in your niche, whatever, even if it's in the form of a blog or an article. And my big tip would be is get your thoughts out on paper and don't worry about it being perfect. That's what you give it to a professional editor and copywriter for to, to make your words, you know, put the verbs all in the right space, as I like to say. But if the ideas are in you, let them come out. Don't hold them back. This should be a place for sharing is exactly right. Oh, I so agree. I so agree. So there is, there's something I want to ask you about what we're talking about right now before we go on to another topic, because I don't know how you handle this or, or if you have had to deal with it in your presentations. The person who is an introvert versus an extrovert, and they say, and it does, it takes every ounce of their being to, you know, do what, what I think just comes natural. So how, are there tips that you give companies that you work with or, or, you know, leaders to help them to help them to deal with the person who is sort of more on the introverted side? Well, I think one of the first things we can do is an exercise where we force others to step out just a little bit in a safe mm -hmm. situation. So for example, if, if you and I really want to understand how an introvert feels, take us to a meeting where we are dying to participate and then not allow us to do so. <laughs> So we figuratively have our mouth taped shut and our hands are tied to the chair and we have to just sit there and listen. That would be painful for us. Would you agree? Oh yeah. 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 Painful because we got something to say about any topic you throw right. out. We're there. Right. And it would just be painful. Well, that's what it must feel like to an introverted person who's being forced mm. to stand up and participate. And I don't like how that feels. I don't want anybody to make me be something that I'm not. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we make people be a certain way. I think what we have to do is hire for the right spot. So mm -hmm. in other words, if this position requires you to be extroverted, to get up and approach people and be these certain characteristics, then shame on me if I hire somebody who clearly presents without those characteristics. I think that's a hiring error more than it is a training issue. Mm. Oh, that's because I don't point. know how I'm going to force you to be something that you're not. I can give you, I can try to give you some skills and I can try to give you some confidence. But if you are a true introvert, I, you, you are who you are. Why would mm -hmm. I try and change you? Oh, that's so true. And you know, coming from a healthcare background as well, I mean, there are people who are meant to work in the lab. <laughs> right? They are so meant to work in the lab. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they're comfortable there. And here's what's interesting is the last place that I should be is the lab because right. my attention to detail is too lacking. I am not dot the I's and cross the T's, but boy, can I talk. And so, <laughs> and so I had to figure out early on, where's my path? When, when I first went to school, I went to school for x-ray uh, uh, taking in the chiropractic world. So I took spinal x-rays and you better have attention to detail. And I was very, very careful and did all the things I was supposed to do, but I could tell that that was not my gift where somebody else I was working with, she belonged in the x-ray lab. 
That's where mm -hmm. she needed to be and did not require that outgoing bubbly personality in order to appropriately uh, take a good x-ray. So there's some lessons learned there about finding your proper place and then owning that and not be made to feel less than. Anybody mm -hmm. who's listening to this that is an introvert and people make you feel less than, I just think stand up for yourself and roll into what is it that you're bringing to the table that maybe myself or another extrovert is really missing the boat. Right. Yeah, because all of us are, are unique. And I always tell people, nobody in the whole world does what you do in the way you do it. That's right. You know, so I think sharing those gifts and, and owning them, as you say, is, is really important. You know, in, in your book, you talk about assumptions that, you know, customer service teams and leaders and stuff make about customer service, about their guests, but they get some of that stuff wrong. What did you, what do you, I mean, what have you found along your journeys that about the assumptions that they make that really aren't very accurate? Well, I think assumptions can be made. One of the most important ones is, is how a person looks um, impacts what they're going to buy. Mm. And, and, and what I mean by that is uh, I always say that sometimes the richest guy walking in your place is the one with manure on his boots. Yeah. Right. So you need to be very careful. I got a great example of this one time and I'm a roll and go kind of gal. And what that means to me is I get up and I'll take a shower and wash my hair. But if I'm not being seen by an audience that day, I'll let my hair air dry. I don't have makeup on jeans and sweatshirt, farmer's daughter kind of gal. It's not that I look ugly. It's that I'm not necessarily put together, if that makes any sense. And I mm -hmm. call that a roll and go. And that is how I live my life because I don't know who I'm getting decked out for. Where I have friends who wouldn't even go to the grocery <laughs> store without being, you know, like they're going to the Oscars. Right. And so I'm doing a roll and go shopping trip. And at the time we were looking for new carpet for my daughter's bedroom. And she was a toddler at the time. I went into the carpet store and I was looking at this beautiful piece of carpet and I was really prepared to buy it because it was exactly the pattern I wanted. When the person came over and I don't know, this is true. I am making an assumption of my own right here, but she sized me up and decided that that carpet was outside my budget. So when she asked me what I needed, I told her what I was looking for and she said, oh, sweetie. And she patted my hand mm. and said, you'll want to be more over here. And she took me to the budget area where the carpet was cheap, cheap carpet. Now, in her defense, I told her it was for a toddler's room. I'm going to cut her some slack and think, well, maybe she's thinking sooner or later the child will be ill on this carpet. Maybe it's easier to clean. Maybe it's, I don't know. But by the square footage, I was paying a third of what I was going to pay for the other carpet. I ended up walking out not buying anything. But I told my husband later, the reason I walked is because she made the assumption that I didn't have that money in my pocket. Mm. She looked at the manure on the shoes, figuratively speaking, and decided that I needed to be over in the cheap section. And I think we need to be really careful how, how we do that. In fact, I just did a video this week. Here's another kind of a note. It just popped in my head. I just did this. I flew into Philadelphia and my flight got canceled to the next city. So I was stuck there and I only needed about four hours of rest before I'd be flying out again. Well, they have a place called the Minute Suites. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's a place right inside the airport where you can lock yourself into this little pod and get some rest and, and, and then you're ready to go. You're already in the airport. You don't go through security and all that, but it's expensive, very expensive. And I've stayed there before. I know what I'm paying for and I know what I'm gonna get. I didn't know where it was in the airport, so I went to the information desk. I asked the gentleman if he could point me in the right direction. And he says, and I quote, can I ask you a question? And I said, oh, of course. And he goes, why would you do that? It's gonna cost you $150 to do that when you can just get on a shuttle and go get one of the airport, you know, one of the hotels outside the airport. 
And I smiled and said, could you just tell me where it's located? <laughs> See, he was deciding that it was not a good use of my money to make that choice. When getting on a shuttle bus and going to a hotel was probably going to take at least a half hour to 45 minutes. And you know, I was still going to pay at least 110 to $140 to stay at that hotel. So to me, when you do the math for the comfort, for the convenience, I was willing to pay. And I didn't like it that he made the assumption that that was too much money for me. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And you know, that happened, probably happens all the time. Oh, I'm sure it does because we put our feelings on other people. So any entrepreneur listening, let's turn this around. Let's spin the table. Don't decide ahead of time whether your client can or cannot afford your proposal. If you're in a business where you have to give a bid and you look at that bid and you think, oh, Bonnie's not going to go for that. You know, to put new windows in her house, it's going to be $15,000. She's never going to go for that. Let's just make it 10. I think it's better to approach with options. I'm a big three-tiered pricing option. I'm going to give you a basic, a deluxe, and a premium. I'm going to give you reasons why they're based that way. And then I'm going to let you, the buyer, decide what value. You know, maybe you want the encased windows that automatically open up and then there's a screen on the inside. So it's, it's both a, a screened-in porch and it's also a four-season room. And you're going to pay 15000 for that. You have the money. You want it badly. I'm not going to decide that you want to buy $10,000 windows that don't open up to screens. Mm. Oh, that is such good advice because you know, my husband and I are in business together and we talk about that all the time. It's like, don't make the decision for them. It's That's their right. choice. And, and really... Nobody, you can't decide for other people anyway. And so don't put that on them. And what are we using to make that assumption? If we don't have enough data coming in, now it'd be different if I said to you, now, Bonnie, what kind of budget did you have in mind to put the new windows in your house? And if you said to me, look, we cannot go a dime over 11,000 and you give me that information. Mm -hmm. Now I know what I'm working with. I can come with a proposal that meets your needs. But if I go into it blindly without doing the homework, how am I deciding what that number is going to be? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, exactly. So how, and maybe this is something that, I mean, I don't know if this comes up in your, in your presentations, but say you're in a group of, of you know, business people or leadership, or maybe it's the same organization, and they're trying to understand the best way to get more information from their guests mm -hmm. so that they can make better offers. Mm -hmm. does, that ever, does that ever come up? It sure does. And it's always you're asking open ended qualifying questions without making you feel like you're being interrogated. <laughs> right. right. So one of yeah. my favorites is if, if you were looking to hire me to speak, I would not just give you a single number. I would not. If you say, hey, Lori, how much would it cost to get you into our company? I wouldn't say it's X. Because the odds of me hitting that exact number, the one that you want, is, is probably pretty slim. Yeah. So I really prefer to say, you know, we have something for almost any budget. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your meeting and then stop talking. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be able to tell me, well, we got this and this and this going on. Same way with any other product or service that your listeners are selling. If you can get intel on what the person's looking for, then you have some idea. It's like clothing shopping. They always ask, what are you looking for today? And if I'm mm -hmm. looking for a ball gown for a, for a cruise I'm going on, then you wouldn't send me to the blue jean section, right? You <laughs> want to get me in the right section. And so that's one of my favorite questions. And then if we get towards the end of the conversation and you really haven't given me enough information for a good bid, here's one of my other favorite sentences. And, and none of this that we're talking about right now is in the book, but it's the same idea of the qualifying questions is to be able to say, it's really important to me 
that at least one of the options I give you for your new window installment meets the budget you have in mind. Would you like to tell me what that is? And then stop talking. And you may or may not want to answer the question, but if you do, now I've got some serious intel to work with in order to give you, I'm still gonna give you three price options, but I'm gonna make sure that at least one of them, it shows what it's gonna to take to hit that number. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, we could talk about this stuff all day because it's so important and people just don't, I don't think people sometimes pay enough attention to it in, in businesses. We were chatting a little bit before we, we got on the air today and I love it that when we go to our favorite restaurant, they know what I'm going to order to drink. They know what I'm going to order probably for food because I pretty much mm -hmm. have always the same thing. And you feel like it's cheers, you know, oh, from, yeah. from the TV show. So what's the, I'm sure that there's been a ton of lessons that you've learned along this journey, you know, interacting with so many business people. What's the, the best or biggest lesson or aha that you've learned in dealing with companies who just either they do a good job or maybe they don't do a good job. And that's why you're, you're speaking to their group. Exactly. Well, we have a division of my company that does secret shopping. So for over 15 years, people have hired us to pretend to be a patient, a patron, a client, or a customer. It's just a hoot of a job. I just love it. And so I'll use that as my example, is that what I find is that companies that don't wow us is when their frontline people have become robotic. Mm. that they are just inserting the recording that is the right answer for this particular situation. And they are so robotic that they haven't connected with me at all. And then companies who really make a great impression on me, they have figured out a way to really, you know, give that air of familiarity that we're talking about. So that when I do walk into my Chinese restaurant, she is yelling my order as I'm sliding in the booth, just confirming that today I want my usual. I wouldn't go to any other Chinese restaurant in our town except for this one particular place because she knows me when I walk in the door. I'm her norm. Well, I used to think I was special till one day I realized she does that with everybody. Everybody you meet will be like, oh yeah, I go to Maryland. I go to Maryland. That's not even the name of the restaurant. It's called Yin Ching, but everybody calls it Maryland's because that's the name of the lady who owns it. Now, if she can do that with fried rice, why can't others do it with real estate and banking and any other service you want to think of? There is the ability to do that. My dry cleaner. When he sees my car pull in the, in the parking spot right in front of the windows, I can already see the wheel turning because he's pulling my dry cleaning order up. That's cool. Wow. Yeah, that is. I mean, it, it gives you that, in my mind, it gives you that family feeling. It's like we all belong. That's right. Yeah. And cool. you don't, you don't want to go anywhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, think of the, the, the type of services that most of us do not want to give up without a fight. Um, most, for most of us, it's our hairdresser. Once you get uh, connected to your stylist, he or she really has a window into your life that nobody else has. I believe it's something about the hand contact and the captive audience for 30 to 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've gone to the same person for 23 years. Now we're going to be relocating in the near future to a different state. And it's just the weirdest feeling to think I'm going to have to find somebody new and they will never be Kelly. Yeah, yeah, whoever that new person is, they got a big hole to fill because I've got 23 years of social capital built up with Kelly. Mm. Yeah, oh, so true. You know, I know that, I mean, we could go on and on about this, but I know that, you know, people are busy and all of that and their brain is probably full of stuff already today. So if there's like one thing that you really want our listeners to walk away with from our conversation today, Lori, what do you think that that one really important thing would be? 
Well, I think the really important thing is small things matter. Mm. They build up on top of each other to become a tower of dimes, to become that roll of dimes that has more value than each dime individually. And when I wrote my book, the unique thing about it, it is actually, it is two-sided. So the team, the team member, the frontline person reads it from the front cover to the middle. And then when you flip it over, the leaders of the team read it from the back cover to the middle. So in other words, half the book is upside down and you can read it from either direction. There's no duplicated copy in it. And I believe that's because there should be an integrated approach to customer service. The whole team should read the whole book. But if you can see it from the other guy's goggles, the other side of the table, so to speak, it allows us to go, okay, yeah, I get that. So that we are a unified team in how we treat our guests. And that's where the big lessons are. Mm. I love that. I love that golden nugget. It's that's such valuable information to share because it's, it's so simple and yet people need to pay attention to it. You know, I know, Lori, people are going to want more of you. They're going to want to maybe, you know, have you speak to their organization or their group or, and certainly and look at your book. Um, how can everyone get more of Lori Guest? Well, I love that. You can come get more at the website <laughs> is myname.com. So it's lauriguest.com. And I know you'll have links to it in the, in the post wording so they can go see the proper yep. spelling there. And then if they're just specifically interested in checking out the book, we have a separate website for that. It's called 10 centdecision.com and you can either spell out 10 cent or you can put the one zero either way. It ends up on the same spot. And we do also have a listener code. If people want to put in the discount word podcast, when it's time to check out, um, it takes, I think, 20% off the book for them. And then we know that they listen to us today and, and are trying to put into action the things that we talked about in just a few minutes. Oh, awesome. Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today, Lori. Thank you so much for taking your time. I know you're, and when you're not in, in, in the airport and trying to, you know, get some rest in a pot or whatever, <laughs> I'm so <laughs> glad that you're able to take time to share with all of our listeners here at The Holistic Entrepreneur. Well, thanks for your interest. You've been listening to The Holistic Entrepreneur, hosted by Bonnie Gressel. The Holistic Entrepreneur has been brought to you by M&B Global Solutions, your source for individualized coaching for entrepreneurs and authors, along with book editing and publishing services. To learn more, go to m and